here some Kazakh pilmini. I tried to find some manti, actual Kazakh dumpling, but my local store didn't have them. And they're pretty good. At least you managed to try something. I've tried to find shubat, fermented camel milk, but apparently it's not very popular outside of the mountains. The rest that I managed to get is horse meat, but I'm not really keen on eating this. That's fair enough. Well, anyway, why don't we jump in over at least some <laughs> Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Welcome back to the post-Soviet press pods 10 minutes on, the series where we cover the basics you need to know about the countries of the former Soviet Union, their culture, history and current affairs, all in roughly 10 minutes. I'm Tom King. And I'm Kristina Tsabala. Today we're looking at the huge Central Asian country of Kazakhstan, a country many people only know about because of Sasha Baron Cohen. Films that, we cannot stress enough, are definitely not representative of Kazakhstan. That's right. They don't even speak Kazakh in the film, but rather Hebrew, Armenian and Bulgarian. In this episode, we aim to show that Kazakhstan has its own unique history, environment, culture and politics, all fascinating in their own right. For example, Kazakh cuisine is really interesting. Horse meat is very popular and it forms part of the national dishes of Kazakhstan, such as beshbamak, which literally means five fingers because it is traditionally eaten using all five fingers. It is usually served in a large dish placed in the center of a table and involves large chunks of boiled horse meat or mutton, layered over noodles boiled in a broth called sopa, and then topped with onions, garlic, parsley and fennel. That's very interesting. How about we move on to some basics in Kazakh geography and culture? Kazakhstan is nestled between Russia in the north, China in the east, and Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan in the south, whilst also adjoining a large part of the Caspian Sea in the southwest. In fact, Kazakhstan is located in both Europe and Asia. As the Ural River, which forms the traditional boundary between these continents, cuts through Kazakhstan in the west. Despite being less developed than its bigger neighbors, China and Russia, Kazakhstan is extremely rich in resources. For example, did you know that out of 110 elements on the periodic table, 99 have been detected in Kazakhstan? I cannot say I did. Wow. I imagine that attracts the attention of those larger neighbors you mentioned, due to the trading and resource extraction opportunities such a rich environment brings. What can you tell us about the kind of people who make up this large, spread-out population? So Kazakhstan is home to about 130 ethnic groups and nationalities, the main ones being Kazakhs, Russians, Uzbeks, Ukrainians, Uyghurs and Tatars. This level of diversity is reflected in the national holidays, with three New Year holidays being officially celebrated in Kazakhstan. January the 1st is New Year, according to the Gregorian calendar. Nairis is celebrated on the 22nd of March as the spring equinox and January the 14th is celebrated from Soviet times and is called the Old New Year. I wouldn't turn down three national holidays. How about language? So the Kazakh language is a Turkic language that originated as a mixture of languages from different nomadic Turkic tribes that lived in shared socio-political organizations. The language was consolidated in the 15th century during the rule of the Golden Horde, and later in the 19th century it was significantly influenced by Russian, and the Cyrillic script began to be used. Although recently, in 2017, President Nazarbayev reauthorized the use of the Latin script. He did, in a move away from Kazakhstan's Soviet legacy. 
In terms of literature, storytelling has been very popular throughout history in the Kazakh societies. According to Chinese written sources between the 6th and 8th centuries, the Turkic tribes of Kazakhstan had an oral poetry tradition primarily spread by bards. The tradition continued through Kazakh medieval times as well. Interesting. But what can you say about more modern literature and written works, for example? So the preeminent role in the development of modern literary Kazakh belongs to Abai Kunan Boyluli, who lived in the late 19th century. He worked for the preservation of Kazakh folk culture. One of Abai's most famous works is the Book of Words, which is a collection of philosophical essays and other poems, in which he criticized Russian colonial policies and encouraged other Kazakhs to embrace education and literacy in the Kazakh language. Now, since we touched on national culture, why not discuss some history? Can you tell me the history of the Kazakh society? So, the territory of Kazakhstan has historically been inhabited by a range of nomadic groups and empires. Way back between the 7th and 3rd centuries BC, the nomadic Scythians inhabited the land. Some historians think that the ancient Scythian warriors, originally from the steppes of Kazakhstan and southern Russia, may have been the inspiration for the ancient Greeks' myth about the tribe of female warriors known as the Amazons of the 7th and 3rd century BC. What can you tell us about Kazakhstan's nomadic heritage? Well, Kazakhstan has a long tradition of nomadism. The very name of Kazakhstan means wondrous nation. It is also believed that Kazakhs were the first people to domesticate horses. Until the 13th century, the most famous Turkic tribes that inhabited the region were the Cumans and the Kipchak, who established the expansive militaristic Cuman-Kipchak Confederation in the 11th century, also known as Cumania. However, what about religion? This blend of peoples and expansive empire must have had quite the impact on it. Regarding religion, the Turkic tribes in Kazakhstan were quite different. The western tribes of the Mongol Empire that were in contact with Catholic Europe, converted to Roman Catholicism, while the rest of the empire remained loyal to Islam, which was introduced in the 8th century. Dengrism was also practiced throughout Kazakhstan, which is a Turco-Mongolic religion revolving around the sky god Dengri, which continues to be practiced into the periods of the Mongols and the Golden Horde. That's right. So, in the 13th century, the tribes in Kazakhstan were conquered by the Mongol Empire the largest contiguous empire to have ever existed in history. Then, when the Mongol Empire started to disintegrate, the Golden Horde was consolidated as a separate khanate in the territory of Kazakhstan and spread Islam across the state. The Golden Horde was subsequently succeeded by the Kazakh Khanate. The establishment of this khanate is considered today as the beginning of Kazakh statehood. The Kazakh Khanate existed between the 15th and 19th century and stretched from present-day Russia all the way to Turkmenistan. The gradual decline of the empire provoked by the internal struggle for power and civil wars led to its disintegration into three territorial and tribal divisions called Uses, which were eventually conquered by the Russian Empire. As covered in previous episodes, the Russian Empire engaged in a policy of russification. The Central Asian territories were not overlooked under this policy, with Russian culture and language imposed on citizens. But this stoked dissent, and by the 1860s, some Kazakhs actively resisted Russia's rule. Russification had disrupted the traditional nomadic lifestyle and livestock-based economy, and people were suffering from hunger and starvation, with some Kazakh tribes being completely wiped out. The Kazakh national movement, which began in the late 19th century, sought to preserve the native language and identity by resisting the attempts of the Russian Empire to assimilate them. Moving into the 20th century, the 
Kazakh people experienced some autonomy during the interim government between 1917 and 1920, known as the Alash Autonomy, but later were integrated into the Kyrgyz Autonomous Socialist Soviet Republic, which included the entirety of present-day Kazakhstan. In 1936, the Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic was then established. One of the most devastating events in the 20th century for Kazakhstan was the Kazakh famine, also known as the Goloshikin genocide. The Soviet Union pushed collectivization and starved the nomadic Kazakh population of food, shipping it to Russia instead. While this famine is less famous than its contemporary, the Ukrainian famine, it took a larger percentage of the Kazakhstan population. It would take decades before the number of native Kazakhs outnumbered ethnic Russians in Kazakhstan. Yeah, Kazakhstan often didn't get the best treatment as part of the USSR. Another example of this is Kazakhstan's role as the site of the Soviet Union's primary nuclear test site, Semipalatinsk, an area about the size of Wales, saw 456 nuclear tests with little regard for the surrounding villages or environment resulting in many latent deaths and genetic defects years later. Ooh, that was quite the journey into the annals of Kazakh history. What about the situation in Kazakhstan today? So, lots can be said about current affairs in Kazakhstan, but it's probably best to start by going over the current political situation, don't you think? That's right. So Kazakhstan has democratic institutions, such as elections and a multi-party system. However, authoritarianism has characterized the Kazakh political system. Yeah, some of the polls in the past have been quite um, optimistic. Like President Nazarbayev's 2015 snap election victory, where he supposedly won nearly 98% of the vote share. Despite the regime being notoriously authoritarian, the current president, Kasim Jumart Tukayev, has been pushing for electoral and protest law reforms, although so far this appears to have been empty rhetoric aimed at pacifying civil unrest. No concrete democratic reforms have been passed as of yet. Also, on the subject of presidents, Nazarbayev has been president since 1990, only recently stepping down in 2019. Nevertheless, the capital Astana was renamed after him, and now it is called Nur Sultan. Nazarbayev's hand-picked replacement, current president Kasim Jamal Takayev, is from the same political party, Nuratan. Takayev's election win wasn't without issue, however. The election result was widely protested by Kazakh citizens, resulting in many hundreds of citizens being arrested both before and after the election result. Outside of Doji elections, what other stories of note have there been in Kazakhstan as of late? It's an interesting situation, because since ex-president and self-proclaimed patriarch of Kazakhstan, Nasultan Nazarbayev, is thought to remain largely in control of the state, even retaining his title as head of the governing party, despite Takayev taking over. In fact, at the time of recording, it was recently Nazarbayev's 81st birthday, and Takayev unveiled these two huge bronze statues of him in his honour, one in Turkestan and one in Nusultan, formerly known as Astana. It will be interesting to see how things turn out in this Central Asian giant, which plays such an important role in regional politics. As it stands, Kazakhstan's economy grew impressively under Nazarbayev. But economic reforms have not been exhaustive, and social and political reforms have been borderline non-existent, resulting in weak institutions and domestic unrest. 
What the future holds for Kazakhstan will be interesting to see. I wish we had more time to talk about it. There is so much to consider. As much as I would love to spend hours mulling over both the history and the future of this Central Asian giant, this is all we have time for this week. I'm afraid you're right. It's called 10 Minutes On for a reason. Thanks to all who tuned in and to Dr. Rasmus Nilsson for being the academic supervisor for the episode. Yes, thanks to everyone. See you next time.